And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Proterus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I kind of threw you under the bus with all those names, didn't I? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we, uh, we uh, come before you and we ask that as we begin to look at this um, section of Scripture, uh, moreover, as we come into this series and we talk about leadership and, and eldership and, and uh, deaconship in, in the church, um, God, we are, we are praying from a sense of need. Um, we are um, uh, looking into your word um, in these areas because we recognize that uh, there is a place that we need to grow into as as a church body. And so we pray that as we read these scriptures, as we study them over the next couple of weeks, that you will impress upon our hearts um, uh, what you are looking for in leadership in your church, um, how you have organized it and what you um, how you uh, want it to look and, and the kind of people you have called to it. So. Um, God, we know that to understand your word rightly, um, we need the Holy Spirit to to apply it to our lives. Um, and so um, help us to be diligent about um, examining these things. And God, we pray that you would work in us to conform our lives to them. Uh, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, if you if you look there on your bulletin, the name of this kind of we're, we're, it's sort of the the title of the sermon, but it's really in a lot of ways the name of the series as well, and that is this idea of servant leaders and leading servants. Okay, um, and so I think that is a, it, it's a great way of explaining our understanding of of what the what the uh, elder um, pastoral ministry of the church is and what we call the diaconal um, ministry of the church is. One of them are servant leaders and the other are leading servants, okay? But you'll notice that in both cases, it's a connecting of those two ideas, right? It's the connecting of the idea of servanthood and leadership, which is one of the things that Christianity brings to bear on the understanding of, of life and the world that I think is probably to some extent missing from other faiths, okay? Uh, we understand that true leadership is servanthood, right? And that has been modeled for us in Jesus Christ, and so we look to him as our ultimate example of what leadership looks like, but leadership is always going to be an interplay between between leadership and servanthood when it comes to the scriptures. Um, I think maybe um, uh, sort of as a prefatory uh, uh, kind of comment before we get started um, to talk about these things is to make the distinction um, between the idea of roles and offices and the idea of giftings and works. Okay, now what I mean by that is. The, the Bible tells us that there are two official roles, there are two official um, offices, there are two official positions um, in terms of leadership in the church, okay? And, and we're going to talk about those here in a few minutes. But that is different than to say that there are kinds of work and giftings that pop up 
among both those two offices, or maybe among even people, certainly among people who don't um, have one of those offices, okay? Don't, don't bear one of those roles. And so to kind of give you an example of, of kind of the concepts that I'm talking about, so, I, you know, Christy is my wife, and we have three kids, right? So she is the mother um, of three, our, our three children, right? That is her role, all right? That is her title. She is their one and only mother, um, in, in this world, right? But then the reality is, is there are more than a few people who do some mothering to my children, right? So I'm just like looking out here like Emily Effler does some mothering to my children sometimes. Uh, my mom is in there, even though she's the, has the role of grandmother, she does some mothering to my children. Many of y'all who are our friends and, and people who have played the role of teacher in the lives of my kids, you do some mothering in, in my kids' lives, right? But you're not their mother. You don't have the role of mother, but you do have the work of mother, okay? You have the gifting of mother, you have the task of mother, but you don't have the office of mother, okay? In some ways, that's what we see in the scriptures too. There are things that are talked about in the scriptures that are actually kinds of ministry, but sometimes we take those kinds of ministry and we think they're actually talking about roles, and that's, that's not what is happening. Um, and we're going to try to clarify some of those things as we go through today. Um, today's going to be kind of more like a Bible study kind of lesson. Some, uh, probably a lot of mine are like that, but, but it's going to be more of a, a teaching time than maybe a preaching time. But when we come to the scriptures, we see these two different roles, and, and they are this. They are the role of elder overseer and the role of deacon. Those are the two roles that we see, the two offices that we see in the scriptures, all right? And so we should probably acknowledge a couple of things about that very fact off the bat. Number one, the, the term of elder overseer is very foreign probably to many of us. Um, we grew up in churches that didn't have anybody in that church whose title was elder or overseer. Now, that, that may not be true of everybody in here, um, but I know the churches that I grew up in, I, we didn't have position, a position, a title in the church called an elder. We didn't have a position in the church called an overseer. That wasn't a thing, okay? Um, and so off the bat, we, we recognize that these terms are maybe a little bit foreign. And if the terms are foreign, then the concepts may not be as fleshed out as we might think they are. Most of us probably come from a tradition where you call the leadership of your church a pastor or a minister or maybe a priest in different contexts. But you probably didn't call them what the Bible most commonly calls them, and that is elders and overseers. All right, so that's kind of the first thing that we notice. These titles are, are, are a little maybe obscure to some of us. Two... Um, what we should probably go ahead, and the reason why we say it, that there is this role of elder overseer, is because there are different places in the scripture that talk about elders, and there's different places that talk about overseers. And yet, to the best of our knowledge, those are actually the same role, even though they have different names. Okay, So we say elder overseer because some places talk about elders, some places talk about overseers. And we'll see how that comes together right here. Um, when you look throughout the scriptures, just like we read in the creed about how these two key places that we look, 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus also, we start noticing these words for different kinds of leaders, these different kinds of offices, okay? The first word that we come across in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is episkopos, okay? That we have this kind of leader who the Bible is calling us, um, calling, calling um, into being or whatever, is an episkopos. Epi, meaning over, 
and scopeo, which is basically the idea of looking or seeing, right? So it's an overseer. It's an overlooker, okay? Um, in the Greek, it kind of has this concept of being a watchman almost, right? Um, somebody who uh, guards over and looks after um, a group of people or, or whatever. Um, we, we, we have a word called bishop that, you know, obviously there's many traditions that have a bishop. Bishop is actually just the old English word for overseer. Okay, and so and you think that makes sense in church traditions that have a bishop. He is sort of this overseer person, oftentimes of many different churches and things like that. Um, And that's where they kind of have that concept from. So that first word is there. It's it's overseer. Um, We see leaders called overseers in the scripture. But then there's a second word that pops up, too, um, particularly at the beginning of Titus. And that is this word um, presbyteros. Okay, and you can hear in the very word, it's where the Presbyterian church gets its title from or whatever its name from. But the word presbos in Greek means old. Okay, it it means an old person. It means an elder. All right. And so um, it's pointing towards something, too. Right. So when we when we find out in the scriptures that leaders are referred to as overseers and elders, then. We start to notice something. Um, those words have some kind of context, right? Um, those, the, the reason why we are calling leaders those two terms is probably because there's something about those words that particularly points to the kind of people that we're looking for in these roles, okay? Um, and, I, and I mentioned a second ago how these two words are actually, these two roles are the same of elder and overseer. We get that impression from First Titus, uh, or Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Let me, let me read it to you. So, Paul is writing to Titus and he says this, this is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint presbyteros, appoint elders in this church in every town, just as I directed you. And if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, an episcopos now, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So notice something in that passage. The significance of that is this. He changes terms mid-sentence almost. He starts off saying, overseers should look like this. And then all of a sudden, before he's even finished talking, he's already started talking about them as elders. Um, or vice versa, sorry. He, he starts talking about them as elders, and then all of a sudden he's saying, the overseers should be like this. Paul, when he's writing to Titus, is conflating the two terms, right? They mean the same thing. They're the same role. Elder overseer is one guy, okay? And so, um, but we, again, we notice that those two words are pointing us to what God is wanting in this role of leadership in the church, all right? Um, it's, it's saying something about these people. So the first one, let's take, let's take elder, all right? If elder means old... <laughs> It means somebody who is old in years, okay? Then what do you think God is pointing towards when he, he calls leaders in his church elders, right? Well, part of it is that he is talking about wisdom, right? He is pointing towards the idea that um, there is, we are looking for people who are wise in the faith. And that includes knowledge, but it also includes a kind of wisdom that typically comes from age and experience, 
Okay, That's why he uses the word elder instead of using the word wise person or mature person or something like that, right? I've got to feel like there is a reason he uses the word elder, okay? Now, that should cause us to pause for a minute because we need to deal with something. Um, This church currently only has one elder. That's me, and at least I like to think of myself, I'm not that elder, Okay, like I'm granted, I'm older than some of you, but I'm a relatively young guy. All right, 40. I'm I'm 40 years old. I'm certainly not somebody who is seasoned in years. Okay, Um, if you are a good bit older than me, if you were if you were 60 or 70 or 80, you might look to me and say, man, he's a kid. Right. I mean, he is a kid when it comes to to this situation now. So what does that mean? Does that mean that my role is illegitimate at our church? All right. Well, I don't think so, because I I think when the scriptures say they should be an elder, um, it it definitely is pointing to the fact that we probably you probably shouldn't be 18. Right. It would be hard for anybody to be considered an elder who is 18. But you probably don't have to be 85 either. Right. We shouldn't wait until somebody is at um, close to the end of their life before we start saying, "Okay, it's time for you to start taking some overseer responsibility in the church. Um, When we look to the scriptures, Paul talks to Timothy and he says, don't let the people in your church look down on your young age. Right. And so sometimes people say, yeah, Timothy's probably like 16 or 18 or 21. I don't think that's the case. I think he's I think he's probably in his Probably late 20s, early 30s, maybe even his 40s or something like that. Because, again, we're thinking of a culture in which typically the, the, the leadership were people who were a little further down the road. Okay, um, They had had a little more um, life experience that had led them to a point of, of maturity. And so, again, um, I'm not saying it's impossible for somebody to be young and be an elder, right? There are situations in which you could be accelerated in your wisdom and maturity for lots of reasons, right? Maybe you're just kind of a, it's a character thing, right? You're just sort of a mature um, kind of person, right, um, or a personality. Um, maybe you've been discipled super well, right? And if you have been poured into and discipled well, that's going to accelerate your maturity in a lot of situations, right? Um, sometimes people who have been given early responsibility are like that. So I have known pastors who were, um, you know, pastors, the, the lead pastor of a congregation before they were out of high school. Uh, my pastor in, in Mobile was 17 years old when he took the lead pastor position at a church. Now, granted, it was a little country church of like 40 people or something like that, but he was the lead guy at like 17 or 18 years old. That was probably unwise. Um, but he grew up really fast, you know, and God used it anyway, even if it wasn't the best situation um, for that church to, to be in, okay? And so um, here's at least one little thing we can think about. Jesus didn't start his public ministry until he was about 30 years old, right? Jesus was as mature as you could get. He was as perfect as you, knowledgeable, wise as you could get, right? I mean, Jesus was lacking nothing when he was 21 or 25 or 28, and yet he does not step into formal ministry until he's about 30 years old, okay? Maybe that's just a good kind of ballpark model, right, um, for us to think about. But again, there's a little, we have to ask those questions. What does it mean by elder? What is it pointing us to? Because the word itself means old, okay? Two, 
The other word, overseer, right, says something about who God wants and what he wants out of this role, too. An overseer is somebody who's willing to watch over um, and take responsibility for a group, right? If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to take on that extra responsibility, then by definition, by categorization of the role, man, overseer leadership is not for you. And in some ways, it's like becoming a parent, right? If you are not at a place in your life where you're ready to take responsibility for another human being um, who needs you, then you probably shouldn't be a parent yet, okay? You probably shouldn't take that step. The same thing is true of being an elder overseer, right? If you're sort of going, you know what, I don't want to be responsible for people's problems. Like, I don't want their problems invading my time and, and, and getting in my space. I'm, I'm not interested in being in that position right now. That's cool. You probably shouldn't be an overseer then, right? Uh, the name implies something about the role itself. It tells us what God is looking for. So he's looking for people who of proven maturity, the kind of maturity that probably only happens after you've been doing life for a while, and he's looking for people who are willing to take responsibility for the lives and souls of, of those in a specific congregation. Okay, that's the beginning of it. Okay, now there are more characteristics and more qualifications that we're going to read about in the next couple of weeks, but that's the beginning of it just by the titles that God gives us. Okay, now let's kind of shift gears a little bit because, again, most of us have never called our spiritual leaders elders and deacons. I mean, uh, elders and and uh, and overseers. Okay, most of us have used other titles like pastor. That was probably the most common one from, from the tradition that I'm from, right? Um, interestingly, the word pastor is only used one time in the entire New Testament, okay? It's only used one time as a, as a name, and I would argue it's not even used as a title. It's used as a gifting. It's used as a kind of work. We find it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And so here's the interesting thing, though, about the word. The word in Greek means... It's translated in that one place as pastor, but everywhere else in the Bible, it's translated as shepherd. Okay? So actually, the word is used multiple times throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. But it's always used of the role of being a shepherd, like a dude who tends to sheep. Okay? But in this one place, in Ephesians chapter 4, we change the translation of it. We change the word from being a shepherd to being a pastor. All right, because the ideas are still connected. Being a shepherd obviously is kind of a big deal in terms of ministry, right? The idea of shepherding people is very connected to what we do as an elder or as an overseer, right? So you can understand why it would be normal for people to call somebody in the elder overseer role a pass, I mean, a, a shepherd, right? Because that's part of what they're doing. They're tending to a flock. They're caring about it, seeing to its feeding, seeing to its prospering, taking care of it, watching it, protecting it, and stuff like that. That makes sense. But again, I think that the best way to understand that is that is a, that is a task, that is a work, it is not a role. Okay? So what I mean by that again is this. There are many of you out there who have a gift of pastoring, who have a work of pastoring, okay? There are lots of you guys out there who just sort of tend to care for other people's lives and souls and stuff like that. When your friends are hurting, you come alongside them. You watch out for them. You want to pour into their life. You want to encourage them in their faith, right? You just have, you, you are doing, you remember that first illustration, you're doing the work of a mother. 
even if you don't have the title of the mother, right? You're doing the work of shepherding people, even if you aren't an elder overseer, okay? And I think that's what the best way of understanding that word pastor is, is that a pastor um, is probably not what we should call the official leadership of the church. Pastoring, though, is something that lots of people do in the church because it's shepherding, right? You're shepherding people, okay? Even though shepherding is a key thing that elders and overseers do. So, again, you might say, well, Ash, in that same Ephesians 11 passage, it names off all these dudes. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and then pastors. What about all those? Are those not all roles in the church? And, again, I'm going to suggest to you that they are not. That those are actually jobs in the church. They are works in the church. They are giftings in the church. But they are not roles. And so there are elders who could be evangelists. And there are normal people who could be evangelists, right? Um, There were elders who were also doing the work of being an apostle in the first century of the church. We don't have anybody doing the work of apostleship anymore because that is something that that has disappeared as the church has progressed. We don't need apostles. Apostles were the bridge between Jesus and the church. And once that bridge was completed and the church was on its way, then the role of apostle fell off. All right. Um, Or the job of apostle. I'm already doing it. The job of apostle fell off. Um, But but it was never a role in in general. Um, Evangelist isn't a role. Prophet isn't a role. Teacher isn't even a role. It's a gifting. It's a work. It's things that we do. And you might be an elder or you might be a deacon or you might be neither. And you might do all those kinds of work. Nobody in this room is an elder in this church. But I guarantee many of you have taught other people the word of God in the context of this church, right? You've shared with people, you've taught whatever. That's just, it's, it's, it's part of what we do, okay? Um, same is the, same as the problem with the word minister, okay? Another word that we use all the time. Minister actually doesn't mean pastor or overseer, it means deacon. Um, the word minister is a, is a translation of the word that we get the word deacon from, okay? So which again, it gets confusing. We go, man, I've been calling my pastor a minister who's actually my elder my whole life, and he's not even a deacon, and we got deacons, but they act more like elders sometimes, and I don't even know who the actual deacons are, because who are, what do deacons even do? Well, we're gonna get to that, okay? But you see what's happened is like, when we've, when we've gotten all these words and we just kinda use them haphazardly, then something breaks down. We stop, we, we begin to forget what people are supposed to be doing and what God has intended each role to mean, okay? And so, again, that leads us perfectly, that word minister leads us perfectly into the second role. First role, elder overseer. Second role is the deacon, all right? And so, again, the word in Greek is diakonos, which means servant, so guess what you see in the scriptures if you weren't aware of this? The, the word diakonos is all over the New Testament. Sometimes it's talking about actual servants, okay? If you read a story and it says, you know, so-and-so walked into um, the, the governor's house and the servants welcomed them, right? It says the deacons welcomed them in that passage, right? Because deacon just means servant, and yet we recognize in some places in the New Testament that it is saying, yeah, 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 deacon does mean servant, but we're talking about servant as an official role of the church now in some places, not just as a generic term for somebody who serves other people. All right. There's two words, actually. There's another one that essentially means public servant. 
And there's, there's a little bit of distinction there or whatever, but that's where we kind of get the name minister, right? You think of in England, they have the minister of defense and the minister of the interior and the minister of these things. What does that mean? It doesn't mean he's the pastor of those things. It means he's the servant to the people of those things, right? It is his job to serve the people in terms of defense or the interior or whatever like that, right? And so that's that word. It's, again, just trying to properly define these things before we move on and start trying to figure out who should be in these roles. Um, At the heart of that role, though, of deacon is servanthood. Okay, at the heart of it is this idea. In fact, if you take that diakonos word back to its like earliest Greek meaning, you know what it is? It means waiter. It means a person who waits on tables, which is I'm not even joking here. You want to be a good deacon. A good place to start is is if you've ever waited tables before, because you learn a whole lot about serving people in ministry and dealing with people's nonsense when you wait tables. OK, and there's a reason why those ideas are connected there. It's about saying I'm not the most important person here. I'm here to attend to your needs and try to help you. And that may even cost me a little bit of frustration. Um, but I'm going to do that. That's part of what the diaconal role is. And so I'm not going to get mad at you if you call me your pastor. Like if you say, it's my pastor, Ash, or whatever. I'm not going to get mad at you and be like, I'm not your pastor. I do some pastoring work. I'm an elder at this church, right? Like I'm not going to do that. Um, I, I wouldn't get mad at you if you said I was your minister either, even though that would be even further from the definitions that we're talking about. But what I'm saying is it's important for us to get these words down because it's important as we move forward to figure out who's going to fill these roles. So... There are these, now it's hard shift, like it's throw it into reverse, like going 30, okay? Um, we have these two different roles, all right? So what's the distinction between them? How are they different? What are they meant to do that is different from each other? Well, we're going to actually go to a place um, that, that Jared read our passage from. That's Acts chapter 6. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 6. This is at the very beginning of the church, right? This is the very beginning of the church forming um, and organizing there in, in Jerusalem. And we see already some of these ideas pop up um, of the distinction and those two roles, even if they're not specifically talked about in those two passages, okay? So watch this. So it starts out. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. If you were with us in our uh, discipleship seminar thing and we start asking questions about a text, man, this text is already full of questions, right? What's a Hellenist? Who are the Hebrews? Why are they getting a distribution? Why are all these things happening? Well, here's the situation. The church has exploded in Jerusalem, right? In those first days after Pentecost, the church has exploded. Thousands of people coming to know Christ, and the church is, is growing rapidly. Rapidly, And so immediately, as we've discussed in the last couple of weeks, immediately they start ministering to widows, because that is just a core aspect of the living out, the external living out of our faith, right? Looking out for um, these women in the community who are vulnerable and, and at risk and, and who need some help, okay? And so the church immediately is jumping into that and serving these women in that way. Um, but, regrettably, as is often the case in churches, some discrimination starts to, to seep in, even from the beginning, right? 
discrimination between the Hebrews and the Hellenists, all right? So Hellenism, if you're, if you're not familiar with that term from history, Hellenism is a term that refers to the Greek influence that basically pervaded the Mediterranean, the Middle Eastern, and the Mesopotamian world um, in, in this time frame, okay? So 400 years earlier, Alexander the Great, a Greek guy, had gone out and conquered everything, right? He had basically conquered the entire known world. And that conquest was so complete and so influential that even after he died, the Greek culture stayed, okay? Greek language became the common tongue. Greek culture and Greek customs became the norm for society. Being Speaking Greek and 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 and, and knowing Greek culture gave you access to commerce and banking and politics and all these different things like that. And so that's called Hellenism. It's called the, it was this cultural trend throughout the world. It's a lot of ways kind of the way American culture is right today. Like you go to China and people don't want to learn French. Like they're not just itching to learn French because French is for all intents and purposes a dead language, you know, unless you live in France or a few places in Africa. But English, Man, English will give you access to all kinds of places in the world, right? And so Greek was the same way in this culture. Well, the problem is, is that the Jews are a very homogenous people. They don't like outside influences. They don't want other people's cultural things, right? So the Jews are staying pretty closed off. But as is always the case, not all the Jews are like that. Some of them get kind of Hellenized, right? They start speaking Greek as their common tongue. They start acting Greek and wearing Greek and doing all the Greek things, right? Well, immediately the Jews are like, we don't really like those people, right? They're kind of the, the, the people over here, and we're the kind of people over here and whatever. The problem comes when all of those people start becoming Christians, and suddenly, Hellenized Jews and the, the traditional Jews are all in the same boat. And the Hellenized widows are being discriminated against. They're kind of being ignored when it comes to help. And so they kind of say, hey, something's wrong here. This isn't any fair. Like, um, we're not being helped to the same extent that the, the, the Hebrew, the traditional Jews are being. And the apostles agree with them, right? They say, yeah, that's not cool. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ now. And so you should be getting the same kind of things that everybody else is. And so we come to verse 2. And so the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Guess what? Serve tables. There's that idea, that diaconal um, idea, okay? Um, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, uh, whom we will appoint to this duty and we will and we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. OK, so what happens is the church pulls in the full number of disciples, which is the church body. Right. That's just us. Right. Um, and they nominate. And then the apostles who are the de facto elders in this church. They ordain, they lay hands on these people and ordain them into the diaconal ministry. They make these seven guys the first deacons, okay? And so um, they are officially recognized by the church. Um, they are officially commissioned by the church. They are ordained by the church. And now, even though we haven't really talked about that elder role yet, that's what's going on. We have elders now who are the 12 apostles, and we have deacons now who are these seven men. We might even have a few extra elders, other men who have been singled out and, and put into leadership positions. Okay, And notice the reasoning that they give behind it. Look at verse 2 again. 
it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you these seven men, and then verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right? Here's the deal. The elders have a specific task that they are responsible for. They have a specific work that they are responsible for. Their work is prayer and the ministry of the word. So that means teaching, preaching, studying, discipling, um, ruling in disputed areas of biblical teaching and, and theology and things like that. That's what elders do. Okay? And it's right for them to focus on that. That's what they should be pouring their energy into. All right. In fact, they even say it is wrong, it is unhelpful for us to be diverted from that ministry and to, to do these other things, okay? Like take care of these, these widows in the church. Now here's the key though, you've got to notice this. Does that mean taking care of widows is unimportant? And the answer is no, it's incredibly important. It's so important, in fact, that we need to find specific people whose only job it is to go out and do that. Okay? We need specific people in the church whose job is to do these practical, physical kind of ministry-related things so that the elders can focus on the, the ministry of the word and prayer. We need to have both these things going on, okay? And so um, so the church is set up, you could say, in terms of leadership from the very beginning to not only have somebody who is focused on spiritual concerns, but also somebody who is focused on physical and practical aspects of service, which, guess what, is exactly what we've been talking about for the last eight weeks when we were talking about growing in virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love, right? The whole time, what were we talking about? One side, we need to be growing inward in terms of our knowledge and growth and understanding of the scriptures. At the same time, we need to be growing outward in service and love for everybody else. And so guess what? It makes completely sense, complete sense that from the get-go of the church, not only are our, are our sanctification set up that way, but the leadership of the church is set up that way, with one group focusing on the internal stuff, you could say, and another group focusing on the external service um, also. That's the picture that we have, and that's the distinction between these two people. And so to go back to the title, elder overseers are servant leaders. Okay? Noun, leader, adjective servant. Okay? Deacons are leading servants. Okay? Noun, servant, adjective, leading. Okay? They are servants who have stepped out front to be the people to lead, right? Whereas the other side, they are leaders, and yet that is not a, I'm a leader, I do what I say, I'm, I'm the boss, and I'm just here to, you know, to be honored and lifted up. No, they are leaders, but they are servant leaders. They are there for the good of other people, just in a specific context, and that is in spiritual matters and, and, and prayer and ministry of the word, okay? Does that make sense? Like, you see, the, you see the connection immediately at the beginning of the church. And notice what the Bible says when that happens. Verse 7, and I can't help but think that this is intentional in it's where it falls. We create this, this elder and this diaconal ministry at the beginning of the church, and then what does it say in verse 7? And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
Okay, so what is that? I think pointing towards it's saying that when we get our ducks in a row in terms of leadership, when we are making sure that specific concerns are being met by specific intended leadership in the church, then guess what happens? The church flourishes, right? It grows. Um, good things happen. People come to know Christ and people are helped and pe- needs are met. Um, all these things happen when leadership is, is properly in place and used. And so that's what I pray for our church, right? That's why we're talking about these things is there is a certain point where if, if for the rest of our lives or the rest of my life, I was the only elder in this church and we didn't have any deacons, it, we would stagnate, okay? We would get to a point where we would go, Ash is only capable of so many things. He's only gifted for so many things. He's only interested in so many things, right? He's, he's doing what he does, and then that's the end of it. But as you add other people in and you say, we're going to bring other people who are elders to take some of that elder work on. We're going to take completely new people on who are deacons to do that deacon work, then all of a sudden the church has an opportunity to grow beyond the abilities of one person, grow into all kinds of opportunities and things that, that God has for us. Okay? And so that's what we're going to close now. And, I, and I, that's what I want you to do today is, is, is go to the Lord in prayer about that very idea. Okay? One... One is that we would pray that God would begin to nurture and develop these two roles in our congregation. Okay? That he would raise up people to be elders in our church, and he would raise up people to be deacons in our church. Okay? So that's the, the beginning thing that I want you to pray. The second thing that I want you to realize is this. And we haven't gotten to the qualifications for these things yet. We will in the next coming weeks. Some of you have probably already read those qualifications at some point in your life, right? But what I want you to realize is this. God is calling every single one of us to be qualified to be a deacon or an elder. Okay? There should be no one in our church, or at least, let me take that back. Everybody should be working towards being the kind of person that the Bible describes as being qualified to be an elder or qualified to be a deacon. Now, you might say, Ash, I thought you told us that women are, are exempt from the elder role in the church. And I believe that is accurate. Okay, I don't think women can be elders in the church. Okay, But that is something different from saying that you wouldn't be qualified to be one if you could be. Right? You should bear the character marks. Um, that would be there for an elder, even if you can't be an elder. Because the truth is, that's going to be the case for lots of us. Okay? There are going to be lots of people in this church who don't end up being elders. Okay? There's going to be lots of people in this church who don't end up being deacons. But that doesn't mean that we go, cool, those people get to slack spiritually, right? Those people can just kind of do whatever they want to, because we're only wanting the, the, the people who are in official positions to, to bear these kind of characteristics. No. Just as we talked about in our sanctification series, God's calling every single one of us to grow in all of these categories, to be characterized by these things. And I pray that he will do that. And as he does that, as we are sanctified, I think what will happen is, is people will be, you'll, you'll begin to notice people. And people will say, man, that person should be an elder. 
right? That person should be a deacon. They're already doing all the deacon work, basically, right? They're already serving in these ways and sacrificing in these ways. We should just make it official and, and, and ordain this person as a deacon. This person is already teaching and already um, ministering the word and prayer to people on their own. Man, it, it just seems obvious that they should step into that role of, of being an official elder overseer, okay? I pray that's what God does in our church. We're going to talk about it in three weeks. We're going to see how that process goes, right? We're not going to push it. Um, we're not going to... The, the title of the sermon from three weeks from now is um, Urgency But Not Haste. All right? Um, we are urgent about finding people to fill these roles, but we are not going to be hasty about finding people to fill these roles. And so if, if, if it's ten years from now, so be it. If it's ten months from now, so be it. That'll be okay. We'll see what God gives us, and we'll see where we're at as we do these things. But I want you to pray about it. I want you to be praying for the elder and deacon ministry of this church, and let's just see what God does um, over the coming months and coming years, okay? So let's go to the Lord and do that right now, and then um, our music team will come back up and we'll be closed. Father God, I ask that you would train up um, a group of men and women to step into these roles of leadership. God, I, I pray that you would, um, God, work in our characters, work in our love, work in our, our, our kindness and our, uh, and our virtue and our knowledge so that we would be the